Good morning. Let me see if this new podium works with, checks out, checks out. Good morning, uh, family. Um, my name is Alex. I see a lot of new faces I haven't seen before, so my name is Alex. Um, I'm going to be speaking this morning for a little bit, but wow, Alexander, where are you? I don't, know how I, I don't know how you got into my laptop, but you just took some of my notes. We could pretty much end service right here. Um, but uh, happy Sunday. Yeah. Okay, so I want to share a little bit about myself that I think will connect to my point. Uh, it was uh, 2012, it was uh, winter term, my first year in community college, and I encountered some questions um, that I had no answers to really. I was raised in a Christian home, I, I thought I had a relationship with God, uh, maybe I did, but the thing is, these questions were completely unprepared, um, and they were really objections to Christianity in general. It took a few years going back and forth, where eventually I actually noticed that I had become a skeptic. I was skeptical about everything. Um, even though I would still, you know, kind of do the Christianese thing, uh, in my mind I began to uh, really think that Christianity was for the gullible, for the people that kind of need some sort of comfort, even though it's not true. They need some sort of father figure in the sky to tell them that they're okay, and maybe a little bit of fear in there as well. And so that's kind of where I landed uh, mentally, and uh, it was really hard to go through, and I, I wouldn't share it with many people. Of course, my wife started to catch on. Back then, she was just my fiance. She started to catch on because I would say things like, you're really serious about this whole God thing, aren't you? And that's a dead giveaway. It wasn't that subtle. Um, but ultimately, by the grace of God, I was led back, and the power of the Holy Spirit, I was led back to him, and he was so gentle and so, um, so like, so patient with me that it was just mind-boggling. Um, every step of the way on my way back is almost as if he just laid out crumbs and said, come back home. And eventually I encountered a man, um, a historical figure named Jesus of Nazareth, and I had to do something with him. The things that he said and did, historically speaking, you can't just write off. Um, either he was a liar or he was a lunatic or he was and still is Lord but I had to do something about the historical data that I encountered. And by the way, not doing anything about this data is doing something about this data because you're saying he's not important enough. You've just made your choice. And so I had to do something about this figure. Uh, and eventually I had to answer a very specific question in my own way. And today I'm hoping to share that question with you guys because I think whether you've been a Christian for decades or you're a skeptic here today, this is the most important question you could ever ask, not only because of it shaping your worldview, but also because it will determine the trajectory of your entire life. Um, and so if you're a skeptic here today, I'm so glad you're here. Some, some people are skeptical and they're still going to church. I'm just glad you're here. Um, I just ask the, the Holy Spirit to work in your heart and thank you for searching him out. I promise you he's worth it. So, okay, Bible time. Uh, we're going to go to the book of Matthew, chapter 16. Uh, if you're uh, interested in why we trust the Bible as the authoritative Word of God? Very good question. Uh, find someone afterwards and ask them. Um, but we'll, we'll just accept it right now. So uh, this conversation is actually happening uh, between Jesus and his disciples. So at this point in chapter 16, we're going to start with verse 13. Uh, at this point, the disciples have traveled with Jesus. They've seen Jesus heal the sick, walk on water, forgive sins. Doing, he's walking around all over the place doing God-like things. He's doing things that the expected Messiah was supposed to be doing. And so they are coming into, according to Matthew's account, they're coming into or they are in Caesarea Philippi, which I don't have the time to get into 
all of the implications of this town. It's, it's amazing how many things are actually coming into place. But uh, it's a very pagan territory. So it's right on kind of the border edge of the, the Jewish land and the land that's heavily run by paganism. And paganism wasn't like a derogatory term. It's, it's literally just a word for the mishmash and soup of different uh, idolatrous uh, religions and philosophies and people just trying to figure out life. And the Greco-Roman gods are in there, all sorts of other things. So this is kind of the territory that they're in. And Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples. I'm just gonna read 13 and 14 for now. Now, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? That, that was what Jesus called himself. Uh, Long story. And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Now, there's a reason that those guesses are there. They're actually, like, they're, they're a stretch, but I can, if you study the Old Testament, you can see how they would assume that he's one of the prophets. But notice, notice the, the underlying theme. Jesus is saying, who do people say that I am? But the consensus is basically he's at least a prophet, right? Like, he's not just some cool guy or moral teacher or the guy that feeds 4,000 or whatever it may be. The consensus is he's at least a prophet, but perhaps that's not enough. You know, if you've read the Gospels, you, you, many of you know that Jesus asks very intentional questions for, for specific purposes and for good reason. This is one of those intentional questions. It's no different. He's not, he's not seeking some sort of compliments or flattery from people. He knows exactly who he is. In fact, we see how he responds to people who try to flatter him. He doesn't, he's not looking for that. He knows exactly who he is. And you can almost imagine him asking, what's the word on the street? What are people saying? Uh, who do people say that the Son of Man is? I can almost imagine him saying, are you following the crowd? What, what are people saying? What are you hearing? And how is it affecting you? Is... Is your view on him built upon what you've heard from others or what you've seen or, or read? What are people saying? Who do you say that I am? I must ask myself this question as well because sometimes we can get so caught up in worshiping Jesus, which is awesome, and uh, you know, watching sermons maybe on YouTube or something like that, which is also awesome, but then eventually we have to meet the person, right? We can't, we can't just assume that we know him just because we know a lot about him. Um, and so I'm gonna continue reading how, let's see how it unfolds, verses 15 through 20. He said to them, but who do you yourselves say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I'm gonna pause there for just a moment. So some of your translations will say Messiah, some will say Christ. Christ is actually the Greek word that's been translated into English. Uh, Mashiach, where we get Messiah, is actually the Hebrew word which has been translated into English. A little confusing, but exact same word, exact same meaning. So what it means really is there, there was this figure that has been awaited for generations and really millennia. Um, he's predicted actually in Genesis during the fall and then all the way through. And so by the time it's, you know, Jesus is on the, on the earth, this Messiah figure is someone who is very specific. Uh, people already know what's, what they're waiting for and what should be happening. This Messiah figure is supposed to be someone who ushers in the rule and reign of, of God and God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And all of these things, peace, joy, uh, all of these things are supposed to be part of this new era that has been awaited for for millennia. And basically what Simon here is saying is you are, you are that guy. You are the person we've been waiting for. Verse 17. 
And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, which is a way of saying son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Sorry, I'm going to stop again. Um, so this is a very Hebrew way of saying, look, you didn't get this from yourself. You didn't Wikipedia it. You didn't find this on YouTube. You didn't ask your friend. My Father in heaven revealed this to you. So Jesus gives his answer the, st uh, the stamp of approval. Uh, so blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. There's wordplay happening here. It's, it's really cool. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall, shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. No time for that right now. Then he gave the disciples strict orders that they, should, that they were to tell no one that he was the Christ, which is um, very common for Jesus in his early days of ministry for multiple good reasons. Um, but notice he switches the question here, right? He flips it. First he starts with the intentional question of who do people say that I am? But now he's saying, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And this, this, these verses are really the fulcrum or the tipping point to the entire uh, gospel account of Matthew. Everything changes from here. And notice, Jesus asks this follow-up question that really determines Peter's identity, who he is, his destiny, and ultimately him knowing what the gospel message will become. This one question, who do you say that I am, determines who Peter is. Jesus, in this account, immediately just starts to tell him who he is, gives him a name. Now, you know, when it comes to knowing who you are, to your identity, in our culture today, we have this whole, like, this whole thing of, like, knowing yourself, be true to you, like, do you. You know, these are very common phrases, like, just be yourself. But what if it's impossible unless you know God? What if it's actually impossible to know who you truly are until you know who made you? and why. How do you find meaning in your life if it has nothing to do with why you're here? How do you know who you are? This laptop that I have was created by someone for a specific purpose. I know it's a laptop because I know why it was made, who made it, and why it functions, and how it functions. I know these things because it's made for a reason. It's designed that way. This self-centered approach of let me just discover who I am will actually never get us to knowing our true selves. It will only leave us discouraged, desperate, and in despair over and over again. We don't just get this from psychology. I'll, I'll show you in a little bit. But really, it will leave your desires unfulfilled because you weren't created for it. You cannot know who, G who you are for real until you know who Jesus actually is. Who do you say that I am? You know, uh, A.W. Tozer, theologian, famously said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. This is so defensible in so many different ways. Whether you believe in God, whether you have a personal relationship with Jesus like many of us do, or maybe you don't and, and you don't really mind or don't really care, that tells me everything I need to know about the state of the condition of your identity, of your self-worth, of your heart, and of your destiny. Who do you say that I am? Do I know him or did I just listen so much about him that I pass it off as knowing him? Do, do I take other people's flames, so to speak? Do I just accept what, what I've really kind of been taught, or do I know him? Because there's a world of a difference there. You know, the Bible says that 
it's impo- with faith it's impossible to please God. We all know that. And it says that though, those who come to him must first acknowledge that, well, really, A, he exists, and B, that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We're not just acknowledging that he exists. We actually believe in him. Even the demons believe that God exists, and they tremble. It's a matter of believing in him for our salvation and really for our identity. And so, do I know him? Notice, Jesus asks a very personal question here. Point blank, who do you say that I am? He was no longer interested in what he had heard, of what the crowd said. He was no longer interested in what his uh, you know, interpretations are. He wanted to know, who do you say that I am? And he wanted to know their response. So, were they led by external influences or what others said? You know, it's possible to create a Jesus in our mind that looks just like us. Um, perhaps there's in, an internal version. You can, be, you can have external influences that influence who Jesus is in your life. That could be your family, friends, uh, colleagues, classmates, work, whatever it may be. You can have external influences that define who Jesus is for you, or you can have internal influences that define who Jesus is for you. Internal influences will make the Jesus in your mind agree with all of your emotions, thoughts, and feelings. Jesus will look just like you. Jesus will become someone who is almost a clone of you because you've created him in your own mind. Now, do I have a Jesus that fits all of my opinions and agrees with my preferences? Does he drive the same way I do? If he were, if he were me, would he have the same favorite food? Now, these things aren't that important, but you see where I'm getting at here. Does he like and dislike the same people I do? Would he treat my neighbor the same way that I do? You know what I'm saying? So, do we have a Jesus? <laughs> do, I, I'm not used to, like, usually I teach in a class where it's like, there's interaction. So if I ask you all a question, just be like, yeah. Okay, thanks. Okay, so do I have a Jesus who agrees with everything that, um, that I agree with already? Or do, or do I have a Jesus who exists? Now, I must ask myself, am I actually in the center of my universe as I discover or create myself or do I have a picture in my mind of Jesus that agrees with me on everything? Do I look for a Jesus that agrees with me on everything? Or do I look to know Jesus and in him find myself? Because there's a world of a difference between having a Jesus that is basically me and knowing the real Jesus and finding my identity in him, right? So do I know the real Jesus and then joyfully through communion with him begin to be transformed in glad submission to him as the Christ in my life, as the one who brought me the new life, the peace, the joy, the salvation. The real Jesus will challenge my motives. He will make me examine my heart. He won't just conform to me. He won't just agree with me. No, I will be transformed as I encounter him. He asks me to love people unconditionally, whether they're my enemies or my friends. He saves and restores, and check this out, he actually exists. So. The real Jesus is a real person, and he claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. He said that there's no one that comes to the Father except by him. He's not claiming to be a way, a truth, and a life. In a pagan territory like Caesarea Philippi, this is, this is crazy news. I mean, think about it. The Jews hated Jesus, the, the early Jews, the ones that uh, crucified him. The Romans, uh, the Jews hated Jesus because he was almost like a heretic to them. The Romans hated Jesus because somehow, with no army, he was a threat to the Roman Empire. But he still is Lord today. The question isn't, who am I to you, right? <clears throat> the question is, who do you say that I am? 
And so there's a very different uh, emphasis there. We must be primarily concerned with who Jesus actually is and not what we think or wish him to be. I really hope to drive that point home. We must be primarily concerned with who Jesus actually is, not who we wish or want or think him to be. Because it's very easy in a, we live in an individualistic culture where everything, um, even if it's not like a selfish thing, everything is kind of, we're used to living in a culture where everything is about us. We wanna discover ourselves, we wanna create ourselves, we care about our careers, about our families, about things that matter to us. And there's a part of that that's okay because they're gifts from God, but it can come to the point where our, our consumeristic individuality drives us to think more about ourselves so much that we add Jesus as one of our things. We add Jesus as a group of our friends or as another one of our assets or possessions, and that's not how it's supposed to be. Jesus, when you encounter him, uh, he begins to transform everything about you. You begin to actually be conformed to his image, and in there you find yourself, your purpose, why you were created, and your identity. And so we must be primarily concerned with who Jesus actually is, not who we wish him to be. You know, true worship can do no other than this. True worship must worship in spirit and truth, and true worship actually would care about the Jesus that he has revealed himself to be and worship him in that truth. Jesus uh, is the exact representation of the invisible God. That's what the Bible tells us. If you look at Jesus, you're seeing God. And so true worship can do no other. You know, the Muslims believe that Jesus was a prophet. Uh, the Mormons might tell you that he is one of many gods. You know, and, and some today might believe that he's a great moral teacher or a social ethics teacher who really teaches us how to live a good life. And you have a bunch of interpretations of Jesus in the first century as well. Not much has changed. There are always people who have different opinions about Jesus. But after we meet the real Jesus, then we begin to understand who we are. So who do we say that Jesus actually is? You know, before we meet Jesus, how do you find meaning in your life? How do you find meaning as an individual? Where do you get your identity from? Uh, is it from your experiences, from your knowledge? Is it maybe from how much wealth you can accumulate or how much power you can exert on others or control over you, yourself even? Is it maybe some kind of identity that someone's spoken over you and you've accepted and you've just kind of grown up in it? Is that where you find your identity? Is it your degree or maybe your brokenness from your past? Is it regret? Maybe it's your popularity or your loneliness. We can find our identities in whatever we've experienced, whatever we've accumulated, what people have taught us and we've just accepted, or are we finding our identity in the real Jesus and who he says we are? You know, what if knowing him is knowing yourself? What if he gives you your real name, your real identity, your real self? What if knowing him and being found in him is the truest form of what you were created to be? and anything else is a cheap imitation. After you encounter Jesus, who is the truth, he begins to strip away any lies that you've believed. He begins to reinforce what is true in you and gently, as the healer, as the great physician, begins to strip away things that are just not true about your identity. God knows you better than you know yourself. And so if you're gonna discover yourself, so to speak, God would be your first place, your priority. Now, the more we get to know him, the more we begin to reflect him and we discover who God created us to be. You're found in Christ. 
You reflect him in your individual way. He's created you for a purpose and for a reason. You, as a person sitting in this room, have value because of the image that is on you. You're not just here by accident, and you're not here to live a mediocre life where, where you kind of just do the things that you're supposed to do. You're called to know Christ and in Him be known. So He doesn't just come into your heart then. He actually gives you a new one. He changes your desires. He changes your thought process even. He changes everything about who you are and your character. And get this, He's not changing you to someone who you're not. He's changing you to someone who you are. Your corrupted self, my corrupted self, before meeting Christ is a horrible excuse for an identity. But Jesus actually makes you who you are. And so what happened so far in the story? Let's recap here. Jesus is asking a point blank question. Never mind what they say. I want to know what you think. Who do you say that I am? Now, Jesus' questions are never, um, they never force you. Notice he has many encounters with people all over the New Testament where, where people are just kind of, given the, the freedom of the will to answer however they want to answer. He gives us that prerogative. He does not force himself on anybody. And so here he's asking, who do you say that I am? It's a very open-ended question, but a very, like, very serious and, uh, question with many implications for their life and their identity. Your answer to this will determine if you can truly know yourself. It's really that simple. You're created for a purpose and meaning, and God knows you better than you know yourself. So if you want to know who you truly are, you must start by drawing near to God. That's step one. You know, the, this, this phrase, imago Dei, many of you know it's the image of God. Um, it's it's what, how we were, what was put on us in order to have us reflect God. And it's the amount of God you're reflecting in your life. You're supposed to do that in your own way. And the thing is, He gives you the desire and the ability to do that. So this isn't something that we're supposed to like white knuckle. Um, but the Bible says He created all things. And Get this, you can have the wrong understanding of Jesus and just do the things that he says to do, but you would not have the mind of Christ. And you would never actually know who you are. You were created for him. In the words of ancient theologian St. Augustine, he said, you created us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. You know, our personal identity will never be fully known to us apart from him. Do I seek to find the real Jesus? It does not start with me, I discover myself in Him. And the last philosopher I'll quote today, for reals, is um, a guy who died almost 400 years ago. His name is Rene Descartes. He's a very fun uh, philosopher to listen to. He's French-born. Um, the reason, listen to, read, the reason he's fun to read is because this guy is like the main skeptic. He, recon he de deconstructed everything that he believed, all the way down to the point of he's wondering whether or not he exists. Welcome to philosophy. And he basically uh, reconstructed everything on just the things that he could prove, and he ended up at Christianity, became a committed Christian again. But basically, what he said was this, I was incapable of perfect knowledge about anything else until I became aware of him. There is an awareness of Jesus that you have, the real Jesus, once, once the more you get to know him. But I don't just get this from psychiatric philosophy alone. Actually, let's go back to the text, verses 17 through 21. And Jesus said to him, 
Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then he gave the disciples strict orders that they were to tell no one that he was the Christ. Notice he gives him his name, he tells him his ministry, but look at verse 21. From that time, Notice what just happened, right? The question was asked, the question was answered. From that time, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and to suffer many things from the elders, chief priests and scribes, and to be killed and to be raised on the third day. After Peter answers Jesus' question correctly, Jesus gives him a new name, he tells him his identity and destiny and begins to reveal the method of salvation in the gospel on the spot. It all starts with answering the question, who do you say that I am, right? And so really the way you answer this question will determine if you can know yourself and the trajectory of your entire life, including whether or not you are a Christian. Who Jesus is, the way you answer this question is central to the Christian worldview. If you answer it a different way, then you're just not a Christian. Now, I know it sounds kinda, kind of harsh, but there's, there's good news. <laughs> it would be silly to say, right, this is who Jesus is to me without first knowing who Jesus is. Like if someone, like if, if, I'm, if I'm looking to Jesus and I'm saying, well, for me, Jesus is this person, this person, this person, this is who Jesus is. That's fine. Like we need to have our own relationships with Jesus, but only after we know who Jesus actually is, right? Who do you say that I am? You're not getting to know, you're getting to know a person. You're not getting to know just a concept or a doctrine. You're getting to know a person, not just a feeling or an emotion. Guys, a person, not an interpretation. Now, for those of you who know me, know I love doctrine, like many of you do too. But if it stops there, we failed. The doctrine is supposed to get us to the person of Christ. It was always a means to an end. It was never for itself. So who do you say that I am? All those things are good, but who do you say that I am? Now, interestingly enough, Jesus actually commended him. He said, blessed are you. Simon Barjona, which is a very Hebrew way of saying, good job, you got it. But since he told him, blessed are you, and he commended him on his answer, that means there's actually a wrong answer too. And I would argue there's many wrong answers. Who do you say that I am? Maybe you've known Jesus for a while and you do have a relationship with him. I, I assume most of us do. I would urge you today to actually keep pursuing him. He's inexhaustible. He's the representation, he is God. He's inexhaustible, you can continue to learn him. And as you are learning and diving deeper into who he actually is, you will continue to be transformed and your identity will continue to be developed and renewed in him. Now, I'm still discovering him today. I mean, this is gonna be a lifelong journey, really, and you're gonna continue to be transformed and it's awesome. And it's not always gonna be super fun. Sometimes he has to strip away some layers and sometimes he has to build you up but it's the best thing you can do and it's the best, truest version of yourself and who you are. And, and I wanna encourage some people in here, maybe you're getting a little nervous with this whole question, right? Like, oh gosh, do I really know the real Jesus? Or like, am I just, you know, I don't want you to be nervous about it. I want you to understand that perhaps today where you are, the Holy Spirit is actually drawing you deeper. Perhaps the reason that you're feeling the way you're feeling when I'm saying these things is because the Holy Spirit wants you to discover Jesus in a new way in a deeper way. He's drawing you into closer intimacy with Him. So I would urge you and really just step into that. Just dive deeper, study the scriptures, learn who Jesus is, ask Him to reveal Himself to you in a deeper way. He's gently drawing you. 
And in turn, you're gonna get a more accurate view of your own identity. And then I wanna encourage someone in here, maybe you're just like I was. Maybe you're skeptical about this whole Jesus thing and you don't know what to do about it. And that's fine, I'm so glad you're here. But I would urge you that you should continue to dive deeper. At the bottom of your glass of skepticism, God is waiting for you. Jesus is calling you even from where you are. Look, you're here today. And I don't know who you are or where you are, but you're here today. And I would urge you that he is worth it. I promise you he's worth it. He's worth all the pain. He's worth all the struggle. He's worth all the diving deep. Whether you're openly skeptical or you're hiding it in your heart, he is worth it. Could we please stand for a prayer time? I want to I guide us through a little bit of reflection here uh, as I close. Could Jesus be asking you this today? Don't look to the left or to the right. This isn't about someone else. This isn't even about, for now, it's not even about a corporate thing. Could Jesus be asking you this today? Who do you say that I am? Not what the crowd says, you. You, personally you. Who do you say that I am? You know, and if you're unsure how to answer this, there's actually a solution. And it's in the text. It's found in verses 16 and 17. Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. And here's the answer. Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Ask God for a deeper revelation of who Jesus is. And then pursue him in the word. Don't do one without the other. We have many examples in history of people doing one without the other. Ends horribly. Ask God to reveal Jesus to you in a truer and deeper way because it was the Father who had revealed him to him. And so in your prayer, ask God. Whether you've known him for decades and you just want to know him deeper, ask. If you're skeptical about who he is, ask. No matter where you are, ask. He longs to know, he longs to know you deeply and personally. He already knows you better than you know yourself. He would love for you to know him. And so as we go into prayer this morning, just ask. Don't worry about the crowd. Don't worry if you look weird. If you need to close your eyes to focus, close your eyes to focus. This is about you and God. If you need to get on your knees, get on your knees. Lift your hands, lift your hands. Begin to ask him to reveal himself to you in a deeper and more intimate way. And I believe that he is on the other side of that prayer already waiting. He might reveal it to you through the Holy Spirit even on the spot right now. He might reveal it to you through the course of the next week or two. Keep your eyes open for that. He does that. He does that particularly in my life but trust that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He is a rewarder of, of those who want to know him. And so no matter how he communicates to you, he will communicate to you and you will discover Jesus if you're seeking him. Simply be, he might simply begin rebuilding your vision of him and in turn your vision of yourself. You might discover yourself more if you do that. And I just want us to know that he hears and he cares and he's drawing us deeper into a deeper revelation of him. Ask the Father for that revelation. And would you ask him today to help you discover more deeply who he is, what he has done, who do you say that I am, and in him find yourself. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the revelation of your son, God. Thank you so much for the opportunity for us to come together and seek your face, Lord. We're so thankful for who you are in our lives. We're so thankful for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. By him, we are saved. By him, we are healed. By him, we are restored, God. We're so thankful for your glorious grace, God. Even in your seats right now, or standing up, begin to ask God for that revelation. Begin to proclaim and thank who he is in your life. Begin to thank Him for who He is and what He has done. You know what He's done over the years. If He's drawing you, begin to respond. Begin to respond in your heart. Begin to tell Him who He is. Ask Him to reveal Himself to you more. Dive deeper. Dive deeper. He's calling us today in Jesus' name. Thank you, God. 
Thank you, Lord, for who you are. We're so thankful, God. Would you begin to break down the barriers? Holy Spirit, we call for you to come and permeate every heart, every mind, every soul in this place, God. Would you begin to break down walls we didn't even know we had, God? Would you begin to realign our self-identity and who we are as we dive deeper and we find ourselves in you, Lord? We ask this in Jesus' name, God. Would you begin to just dismantle the lies of the enemy, dismantle the lies that we've believed, dismantle the identities that we've called upon ourselves, God. Would you begin to realign who we are in you and in you may we find ourselves in Jesus name for the glory of God let's worship